Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf Mem Tes. Today's shir is Le'ilu Nishmas, Rivka Bas Yaakov, and Leora Bas Tzvi. May the Neshamas have an aliyah and their memory be a blessing. Um, we got up to the, towards the end of Mem Ches Amud Beis, uh, 48b, um, the, about the 10th last line. Remember, it was dis- we were discussing that when the father hands, that obviously when the father's, while the daughter's still in her father's rishus, while she's living at home, she's still under, sorry, while she's, even though she's done a rusin, for many alafas, she's still under her father's rishus when she's at home. And after chuppah nisuyin, then she's transferred, then she's now under, or in her husband's rishus for many, for those alafas. The question, the Mishnah brought up the point that once she's been given over to the husband's messengers, if the father walks with his daughter and says to, that the husband sends some people to come and fetch her to take her to his house, or the father sends people to take her, and they met halfway with messengers, but either way she's handed over to the messengers, for many halachas, that counts as the Nisuyan that she's now under her husband's wishes. So you were saying yesterday, in today's time, Yeah. So we do a rusin. A rusin. Yeah. A rusin and kiddushin are the same thing. So we do a rusin. That's the first part when he puts the ring on her finger, right. and they say the bracha, a share, what's it, shehitilon, shehosalonu es ha, this arusos shehitil. That rusin. That's the yeah that that bracha. Then yeah. Then there's the pause, the trosha, and the ksuba reading. Seems that's actually why they instituted the ksuba reading to create a pause okay, for various reasons. Yeah. Especially you put that, put that especially more yeah. to create that gap. Yeah. And then afterwards is the, and then the sheva brachas is the nisuyin. Okay. So what's interesting though is chupa, the actual bringing her into the canopy. He goes and he the the. The, the, the groom welcomes the kala into the canopy, into the chuppah. That's done first, which is a little bit reversing the order. So that's that's a little bit of a question, but that's the uh, that's the basic structure. Pardon? Yeah. So that's uh, so that's but that's done before the erusin. So that's a little bit tricky. Um, Okay, um, so back to the Gemara. So this is where, so here instead of having the chuppah, the huge celebration, the husband sends some people to fetch the wife and bring her to him. And the father just hands her over. I mean, in their times, it was largely she went from living in her father's house as an arusa to now moving in with her husband as a nasuya. That's like the law, the, the key, uh, it seems the classical um Manifestation of Erusin and Kirushim. So then the Mishnah says, so the Gemara says, If the father gives her over to the messengers of the husband, she is, and then she commits adultery, she would be put to death with Chenek. What's the novelty of that? We know a girl who's only done Erusin, a Naro Marusa, a, a, a girl who's done Erusin generally gets Skila. Once she's done Nisuyin, then a change to Chenek. So here we're saying, once she's been given over to the messengers of the husband, 
she's now considered married with Nisuyin to the degree that she'll get a different type of death penalty. She'll get Chenek, as if they've actually done Chupa. You know, Animili, what's the source? So, Amr Rebbe Ami, Amr Bechana, Kro, Liznus Sovia. Rebbe Ami Bachama says from the following passage that says, if she commits adultery, base of via. Now, what's that? Prat That's excluding where she has been given over by the father to the messengers of the husband. Right? The only time she would get skiller is while she's still the base of via. As soon as the father's handed her over to the messengers of the husband, she's now out of base of via, and her punishment would not be skiller; it would be chenek. Says, says, but maybe it's coming to exclude where she has done chuppah, but they have not yet had beer. Again, we've discussed this. Remember, the primary point of chuppah, and that is bringing her into his home, etc., is for beer. But what happens if they don't get a chance to do it? And then she goes and she commits adultery. Maybe that's where, again, even though they haven't had beer, she should still get chenek. Maybe that's what the apostle is coming to teach us. Not, and just handing her over to the messengers of the husband is not good enough. She would still get skila. Rava said that Ami told me that chup is clearly written. Why? Because it says in the apostle, When you have a naraba sula, who's only done a rusin to a man. It says, Nara Nara is excluding an adult, a girl 12 and a half and older. This is when she would get skila. Basula, velo ba'ula. Basula means a virgin and not a ba'ula. She would get skila and not a ba'ula. Mu'urasa, velo nasu'a. Obviously, one who's only done a rusin and not nisuin. Now he says, now my nasu'a. When it says a girl who's done a rusin but not nisuin, it says, mamish. If you want to say that she has properly done nisuin, ah, she's consummated the marriage, says, hainu basula. Well, she's already excluded from skila. When the pasuk says she has to be a basula, because now she's a baula, so basula v'lo baula, el elav she nechnas al chupa v'lo nivla, and must be that she enters chupa and without having done beer. So when the pasuk says muuras, when the other pasuk says muurasa, that's excluding someone who has done chupa without. That's excluding a girl from Skila, one who has done chuppah without beer. And therefore, our pasuk, which says, base of beer, which is a further limitation, is, is where the father's hand her, handed her over to the messengers of the husband. Okay, but that's all regarding the halacha of Skila. We now seem to ask, I couldn't, from the, from the language of the Gomorrah's question, we'll see it sounds like more general. But Rashi and Tosvos, Tosvos have a totally different way of learning I'm not going to go into, but... Um, but it seems to almost be, can she go back? We're saying that if the father's handed her over to the messengers of the husband, she's now left the status of being a Nara Bavesovia, and she would, who would get skill if she committed an adultery, and she's changed to a woman who would get Chene. Um, and remember, there's a hierarchy of the four types of death penalties. There's a hierarchy for different various different ones. And one of the novel ones, this was actually on Shabbos or Sunday's stuff, so we didn't get to learn it together, was if a, 
and the difference when a girl would get, who commits adultery gets skila and when a girl who commits adultery gets chene. But so once, so we're saying that once she's handed over from the to the messengers of the husband, she already she won't get skila, she'll get chene. What happens is she goes back. So they starting on their journey and she's not actually I'm going home. Does she now revert back to being a pervasive and subject to skila? Or does she remain in that status of a girl who has already left her father's household? Granted, she's gone back, but she's already left. And she would remain with Fennec if she commits adultery. Maybe we should say that if she returned to her father's house, she returns to the original matter. You see, the original matter sounds pretty ambiguous, but they do seem to learn it in regards to the type of death she would get if she commits adultery. Um, Again, Rashi points out it's not such a strong question. But either way, the question is that, again, the Mishnah seems to imply that once she's handed over to the Shluchai Habal, to her husband's messengers, it's irrevocable. She's now got a new status, almost like Nisuyim. And therefore, she would not, just as if a girl does Nisuyim and then gets divorced and goes back home to her father's house, she doesn't go back to Skiller, because she's done this for so to once she's handed over to her, to the husband's messengers, she won't go back to getting Skiller. Says, oh, so how, but how do we know that? Why don't we say that? She does change. So, oh, my rova, hahuk fa poskatana de vei Now that's already been decided, pask and pi, de vei rebishmal. Katana de vei rebishmal, price of rebishmal. Now the following price is discussing on who can annul a neder. We know that a father. When his daughters a nara or a katana, a katana of the generally, when, just interesting. Whenever we say katana regarding the dorim, we're speaking about a girl who's 11, because if she's under 11, we say she doesn't really know what a neder is. So obviously it's not bonding. But once she's 11, then she knows what a neder is, so she would be obligated to keep it. The father can annul a neder. Once she's done nisuyin. Who, who announced the neder? She leaves her father's rishus and goes into her husband's rishus. And this is Nisui, the second stage of marriage. And her husband can allow her nadorim. When she's done a rusin, either middle stage, then she'd actually, she's in her father's rishus, but she's also, for some halach as a married woman, she's under her husband's rishus, so she'd have to get both of them to annul, to Mayfair in the Dorea, to annul her nadorim. Um, yeah. Now, as I pointed out, if she does, if she's widowed or divorced from Nisuyin, then she's obviously, when she did Nisuyin, she left her father's rishus, which is irrevocable, and when she's now got divorced or widowed, she's left her husband's rishus. So now there's no one who can annul her Nadori. There's no one who can, be, who can make her Nadoreho. So that's Nisuyin. What about Erusin? She's still, as we pointed out, with Ayrusin, she needs both her father and her husband to annul her Nadorim. So we see she is semi under her husband. So what happens if she becomes widowed or divorced from Ayrusin? Does she go back to being fully under her, her father's wishes that he can annul her Nadorim? So, so, so that's what Javay Rubishmolo going on. It says, Ned Venodda. So the Postic says, Veneder Amono Grusho, Kol Asher Osro Al Nafsho Yokumuleho. The Neder of a widow or a divorced woman. Whatever she forbids on herself, I any neder she takes, 
Yaakum will stand. There's no one who can annul it. So says, now my time would like, what's that possible referring to? On the surface, you'd say it's referring to an Ammon or Grusha from Nisuin. He says, But if you want to say it's from Nisuin, she's left her father's Rishus when she did Nisuin, and now she's left her husband's Rishus. So now, there, so obviously you can't be saying that, that that's where they can't annul in a dorim. It's too obvious. So Ella Haresha Mosar Abla Shlucha Abal, Osha Mosar Shlucha Abla Shlucha Abal. It must be a case where the father gave her over to the messengers of the husband, or the messengers of the father gave her to the messengers of the husband. Minis Armelo, Baderech, Onis Karsho, and she became divorced or widowed on the journey. Heichani Koireb or Beis of Yeshelzu, or Beis Bala Shelzu. I can't really say she's still in her father's house because she's been handed over to the messengers of her husband. And I also can't really say she's in her husband's house because she hasn't reached her husband's house and she's divorced. Therefore, that's what the Apostle is coming to tell us. Even if she leaves her father's rishus for one moment, it can't be annulled. I, um, that's what the Apostle is coming to teach us. And our mono ugrusho, yokumoleo, her nadorim stand. We're not speaking about our mono ugrusho from Nisui. That's too obvious that her nadorim stand. Must be speaking about this case. Of where she's handed into over to the shluche about the agents of the husband, she's her shluche about her. her uh, she's left her father's rishus, and therefore there's no one further who can annul her notorium. Omar Papa Papa says, Afanami Tanina. Rapha says, We can actually work this out from the Mishnah. He says, The the Mishnah says, If someone has beer with a Nara Murasa, a girl who is only Dare Rusin, is not Chayev, again, here we have to insert Skiller, is not Chayev Skiller, unless she is A, a Nara, B, a Basula. C Mauraso Dan Erusin and D the Hebavesovia. Now Bishlaima Nara Veloba Geris Basula Velobo Ula Murasa Velo Nasua. The first three we easy with. Like this that when it says she can't be and she has to be a Nara, it's excluding being an adult Ibogeres. She can't have had beer in the past and it has to be from a Rusin and only sweet. The Vesavia Limutaimai. What's this fourth condition coming to exclude? She's living in her father's house. So the lovely Mutai Hapal is coming to exclude where the father has given over into Shluchai Hapal. Yitzchak says we can actually even work that out from our Mishnah. Sorry, not our Mishnah, but from another Mishnah. He says, Habal in this Mishnah says that if someone has beer with a married woman, as soon as she's entered, now it doesn't use her husband's house, it uses the phrase, the jurisdiction of the husband, for Nisuyin. I know that they've done Nisuyin, but for Nisuyin, even if they haven't had beer, if someone commits adultery with her, they get chenek. Um, I'm saying they, I don't know if I'm the man and the woman. Um, so now the, the Gomorrah just emphasizes the Josh. It says, ma'alma. It just uses the phrase, if she enters the husband's jurisdiction, I 
I in general, it doesn't say that she's done Nisuyen. Shmamina, that's conclusive. So we've had three proofs to support this principle against the yacht. So we know in Nara, we were actually to put a girl to death with skila for adultery. Does the girl and the husband get, the man get the same punishment when she's a Nara Murasa? I think so. I think they both get skila. If she doesn't fall into that category, then I think both would get chedek. Once in a while they'll get a different punishment, but I, I don't think that's the norm. But we, you can, we, can, can, uh, we, can check, we can check up on that. But basically there are four conditions. There are three main conditions and a fourth condition which, almost, which I view as a clarification. The three main conditions are Naira, she has to be that age and not an adult. I, even if she's only done a Rusin and she commits adultery, but she's a Bulgaris, then she won't get skilla, she'll get chenek. So Nara, um, Basula, she can't have had beer before. Mu'uraso, she has to be in this in-between stage between Erusin and Nisuyin. And then the fourth condition, which I said is, it's a, it's a condition, but it's also almost a clarification. Um, Beisoviha tells her that as soon as she's been given, the, she's left her father's rishus, if I, she's been handed over to the agents of the husband, even though she hasn't properly entered the husband's rishus, since she's left her father's rishus, she's now chenek and not skila. Um, yeah, if you want to think about uh, just a deeper thing to think about is why should a girl who's a Nara Muraso be more severe and get skila than a woman or a girl who's completely married who would only get chenek? In the hierarchy of uh, putting death, someone to death, skila is the highest, the most severe. Okay, but let's carry on with the next Mishnah. So, this is I touched on the other day, um, but this Mishnah is discussing a father's obligation to support his daughter. Now, interestingly enough, um, it comes, two Takonos are brought up, two Takonos that were instituted as part of the standard Ksuba. The one is that the sons from that specific wife inherit her ksuba. Very interestingly. Generally, we know if a wife dies, her ksuba goes to her husband. They would make a condition in the ksuba that when, again, this man dies. Now, remember, he, there's a good chance he had multiple wives. When this man dies, the, the value and the items mentioned in the ksuba go to the children from that specific wife. It's not split. So let's say he has uh, two children from one wife and two children from another wife. You don't take all his property and divide it into four. You take the ksuba of the one woman and distribute that amongst her two sons from him and the ksuba of the other woman and distribute it. That's ksuba's been in different. That's what's called the male, uh, the ksuba of the males, the, the condition that her sons inherit her ksuba specifically. Again, this is all where she dies first. And then the husband dies. And then the second takona that it touches on is that there's an obligation that the estate will support her daughters. It says the daughter, remember, sons inherit, daughters don't inherit. But Ksuba's bin in Nukvin, there's a female aspect of a Ksuba that the estate will support them, will support the daughters. So now, the Gemara, so now let's go into the Mishnah with that background. A father is not obligated to support his daughter. And this is expounded by Rebbe Lozo Ben Azariah. Before Chachomim in Kerem 
What's Karen B'Yavne? So Karen B'Yavne was the one, um, I don't know, uh, was the one place where the Sanhedrin was when it was in Yavne. Kerem is a vineyard. Um, and one of the reasons that they referred to the Sanhedrin as a Kerem because it was how they sat in rows, similar to how a vineyard was planted in rows. There are other metaphors given why the, the Sanhedrin, and I guess we can ask specifically why the one in Yavne is called the Kerem Yavne. We don't find a Kerem. You're going to see Usha was another place where the Sanhedrin was. We don't ever see it referred to as Kerem Usha. So I'm not sure why Kerem Yavne specifically, but that's the Sanhedrin. So Rebbe Lozov and Azariah made this drosha before the Sanhedrin. Um, so this is Habonim Yishu or Habonis Yuzoinu. Part of the conditions of the Ksuba are that the sons inherit, that's what I mentioned, the sons inherit the Ksuba, and that the daughters are sustained from the estate, supported by the estate. Now, we're contrasting these two Takonos. Just as the sons only inherit the Ksuba after the father dies, so to the daughters are not supported by the estate until after the death of the father. So what's he saying? Very interestingly, it comes out. Firstly, a father does not have an obligation to support his daughters. We're going to see, it will come out from this sugya and later on around, uh, I think in about a week or two, um, will come up the when a father, but very young children, a father does have an obligation to support. What we're talking about is his regular young children, not his very young children. It seems up to the age of six, a father is obligated to support his children. From six onwards, a father is not obligated to support his children. And that's the structure that Rebbe Elizabeth Azari is making. It says, it contrasts the two takonas, this that the sons inherit their mother's ksuba, and this that the daughters inherit, uh, are supported by the estate, are contrasted. Now, when do the sons inherit? When the mother dies, all the things in the ksuba are transferred to the father. When the father dies then that's when I explained the things mentioned in their mother's tshuva go to them as their inheritance and the things mentioned in the other brother's mother's tshuva goes to them and the rest of the estate will be distributed amongst all the sons. But that's the... So, but when does that kick in? This clause of the tshuva that the sons inherit? It kicks in when the father's died. Then when the mother dies, everything goes to the father. When the father dies, that's when it goes to her sons, specifically. So, so too, we contrast that with the daughters, the obligation to sustain the daughters is only after the father has died. It says, now the Gomorrah makes two diyukim on the Mishnah, because the Mishnah says he's not chayev to support his daughter. So he says, It implies that he's not obligated to support his daughter. Mashma? Yeah. Two diyukim, uh, deduction. Two, it's, 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 it's focusing on the word and deducing something from it. So the first one is it says, the Mazoina's bito, that he's not obligated to support his daughter, either Diok is, Mashma, Homer Mazoina's Benochayev. He is Chayev to support his son. And then the second one is, bito nami saying there's no obligation to support his daughter, but it's still a mitzvah, it's still a good thing to do. 
because otherwise it would have used the otherwise if it's referring to sons and daughters why not mention sons and daughters and if it's saying that there's not if it's saying that there's not even it's not even a good thing to do then it should say there's no mitzvah to support his children if there's no mitzvah to support his children there's definitely not an obligation the main difference between an obligation and a mitzvah we'll actually touch on it over the page is if it's an obligation they can sue for it in court and Beisdin will force them if it's just a mitzvah a good thing to do then Beisdin will try motivate him to do the good thing but they can never actually use the force of law to uh, make him do it so, the, so again, so that's the that's the deal we make we make in the Mishnah again that it's not that it's daughters is not obligated to support, but his sons he is, and it's not a not that he's not obligated, but it's a good thing to do to support his daughters. Now, money, money, So, who's the author of Mishnah? Doesn't fit in with any of the three opinions that we know that discusses the Tanya as we learned in Abraisa. Mitzvah It's a mitzvah to support mitzvah. Notice, mitzvah to support the daughters and how much more so the sons. Why is it more of a mitzvah to support sons than daughters? To oske b'torah, because they're learning Torah. Ah, the daughters. So if you're going to choose, yeah, this would be the difference. If you, if you only have enough money to support one of your children, you should support your son in learning. Divrei Rebbe Meir, that's Rebbe Meir's opinion. But again, we saw that it's a mitzvah to support both the sons and the daughters. Not an obligation for either, but a mitzvah to support both. Rabbi Yehuda, I mean mitzvah lozun is habonis, habonim, v'kavach haimer habonim, mishum zilusa. Rabbi Yehuda says it's a mitzvah to support the sons, and how much more so it's a mitzvah to support the daughters, because it's degrading for them to have to beg or to live in abject poverty. I, it's more important to support daughters because of the disgrace they suffer when they have to beg. But again, what do we see again? According to Rabbi Yehuda, it's a mitzvah to support both the sons and daughters. Rabbi Yochanan ben Baroika says, No, it's an obligation to support the daughters after the death of the father. However, in the life of the father, there's no mitzvah, there's not, no obligation, he doesn't have to support his sons or his daughters. So, according to Rabbi Yochanan ben Baroika, Again, we're discussing why the father's alive. It's not even a mitzvah to support his children. It's not even a good thing to do. Once they hit six, send them to fend for themselves. It says, now, money, money, sin. If you want to say it's Rabbi Meir, he says it's a mitzvah to support the sons. Which, remember, we made the diuk that it's a oblig. In our mission, it implies that it's the daughters, it's not an obligation, but the sons, it is an obligation. So it can't be Rabbi Meir. If you want to say it's Rabbi Yehuda, he says, well, it's also a mitzvah to support the sons. I, uh, again, same deal. It says, And if it's Rabbi Yochanan ben Broika, well, doesn't fit in with anyone. It says, he says it's not even a mitzvah. Okay. Our Mishnah said, it is, uh, it's not an obligation to support his daughters, implying that it's still a mitzvah. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Broika says it's not even a mitzvah. It says, Now, if you want, I can explain it according to Rabbi Meir or Rabbi Yehuda or Rabbi Yehuda Broika. So now what we're going to do is show how we can read the Mishnah according to each other's opinion. So we start with Rabbi Meir. We could say, if you want, you can say the Mishnah is Rabbi Meir and this is what it says. It says, A father is not obligated to support his daughters and so to his sons. However, there is a mitzvah to support his daughters. 
and Kavul Chomer Labonim, which then we would say, how much more so to sons? Because remember, every male says, if you have a choice, rather support your sons because they learn Torah. On Benal, the Gemara says, Avahoy, Diktani Bito. But then why does it teach his daughter? Just say children, or say his sons and daughters. Because again, by saying daughter, you imply that sons have a different law, which they don't. So he says, no, by saying daughters, it's coming to teach us that even his daughters, there's no obligation, but there is a mitzvah. If the... Um, if the, I think you have to contrast today, what would be if the Mishnah would have taught sons? We would have said, oh, there's no obligation to support your sons, but there is a mitzvah to support your sons because they delve, they learn Torah. But what about the daughters? Not even a mitzvah. Again, I don't know if that fits in perfectly with the words, but that is how I understand uh, reading the Mishnah according to Rebbe Man. Now we go, the Ibo is Amir If you want, you can read the Mishnah according to Rebbe And this is what it's saying. A father is not obligated to support his daughter, and how much more so not his son. Because remember, Rebbe Yudah says, it's more important to support your daughter. So the Mishnah says you're not obligated to support your daughter. You're definitely not obligated to support your son. There is a mitzvah to support your sons, however, and how much more so his daughters. Then why does it mention his daughters? Again, by saying daughters, we thought that there's now an obligation to support your sons. That even his daughters is not a chov. If it would have said it's a good thing to support your sons, we would have said, well then maybe it's an obligation to support your daughters. So he's saying, no, it says there's no obligation to support your daughters, but obviously there is a mitzvah, and there would also be a mitzvah to support your sons. So that's how you would read the Mishnah according to Rabbi Yehuda. The Ibo is Eimer Rabbi Yochanan ben Baroika. And alternatively, you could say it's Rabbi Yochanan ben Baroika. And this is how you read the Mishnah. It says, You're not obligated to support your daughter and so to your son. And there's not even a mitzvah. Of Aidi the Bonos La Acha Mr. Sadim Khoifa. Sorry, then before we go into the next line of the Gemara, but then we have a question why does the Mishnah say there's no obligation to support your children? It should say there's no mitzvah to support your children. By saying there's no obligation implies we can't force you, but it's still a good thing to do. It says, But I did the Bonos La Acha Mr. Sadim Khoifa Tananami Enochayov. Since after mitzvah there's an obligation to force the daughters, I based in can force those who inherit their estate to support the daughters, a teacher, and therefore it wants to teach Chayev, it teaches Chayev here. Now, Omer Eli, Omer Eishlokesh, Mishum Rebbe Yehuda, Bar Chanina Bu'usha Hitkenu. Rebbe Eli said in the name of Eishlokesh, in the name of, it's not sure, many change it to Rebbe Yosef, Rebbe Chanina, in Usha they instituted. What's Usha? Usha is one of the places where the Sanhedrin stayed, um, the Sanhedrin A was exiled ten times around the destruction of the Second Temple, so Usha was one of those places. So it was the Takon of the Sanhedrin. Excuse me, that a father must support his sons and daughters when they're young. Now, now Tosos point out, what do we mean by this when we say they're youngsters? 
So that means anyone under bar or bat mitzvah. However, Tosos point out, just at the top line, he says, Kashem Katanim. He says, Aval Katanai Katanim. Very young children, Lukuli Al According to everyone, the father is Chayev. And he says, we'll see this later on on Daf Samachay. Oh, so it's a bit more than two weeks away. Um, so, what are we, so, so, so the Gemara is saying, Rabbi Lai, says so the name of Reish Lakish, the name of Rabbi Yossi Barchanina, this Takona from Usha, that a person must support um, his young, his minor children. So the Gemara asks, oh, Is the halacha like him or not? Is there an obligation to support his, young, his minor children? So Toshma, come in here. When this scenario would come before Rabbi Yehuda, I have a father who is refusing to give his to support his children. Omar Lahu, he would say to him, Yorud Yalto, The jackal has given birth and he's thrown the responsibility on the town. I he would insult him. He would publicly defame him as look at this father, he's acting like a jackal, he doesn't care about his children. Again, um Mashman, we're going to see it from all of these. He wouldn't force him, but they would try and motivate them by publicly shaming them. When he came before Abchizda, when such a scenario would come before Abchizda, again, a father who refused to support his children. Again, as we said, we're discussing young children, but not very young children. Children under six, the father has an obligation to support. We're speaking about children between six and uh, bar or bat mitzvah. So again, so this scenario came before us. It says, would make him turn over a pot, stand on it and announce, or, or a mortar, turn over a mortar, stand on it and announce, ravens want children, and this guy doesn't want children. I again, publicly defaming himself for not being prepared to look after his children. There's a whole, I couldn't remember it, but I remember it being discussed, the whole metaphor of turning over the mortar that he stands on. Why, why not a why a mortar and not a pot? Why not just a, a bench, a chair? Why specifically a mortar? I think it has to do with the mortar represents the making of the flower and stuff, but I forgot the, the metaphor why specifically, but that's what he says. He stands on this pot and he, on this uh, upside down mortar and he degrades himself saying that ravens don't, even ravens want children, he doesn't. Now the Gomorrah asks, it's just interjecting the story, he says, but Urva, boy, boy, now, you're telling me ravens want children, Hashem, the Pasuk says, Hashem provides for the children of ravens who crawl out for food, who call out for food, because the parents don't look after the ravens. So you're telling me that ravens, this man's worse than a raven, he doesn't look after his young. Ravens don't look after the young, as we see from Tehillim. So Gemara says, Lokasha, that's not difficult. Here's when they are white, and here is when they are black. When the ravens are very young and white, the parents don't recognize them, so they avoid them. When the ravens grow a little bit older and they turn black, then the parents recognize them and they start looking after them again. So he's saying this man, even though he knows they're his children, which at that point a raven would look after his children, when the raven recognizes and realizes they're his children, 
The raven looks after them, and this man won't. That's the insult. Okay, now a third similar scenario. He says, Ki he would insult him by saying, what, you want your children to be supported by tzedakah? So it's all very well for you to not support your children, but you know now they're going to have to live off charity, which again is very um, degrading. Now in all the above cases, we see what did the son, the Bays didn't do at that time when they had this question of the father who wouldn't support his children. They never forced it. They just tried to motivate it. Um... Yeah, let's carry on a few more lines. He says, Amid. This is all when he's not wealthy. But if he was wealthy, then Rava would force him. Or then they would force him. Like we found Rava forced Ramnosan Barami and he extracted 400 zoos for Tzedakah. So again, this that we can't or that we just insult the father that's not prepared to support his children. It's a, I don't know if it's middle class or lower class, someone who struggles to support his children, but a wealthy person, they would force. Tosa's very interesting ask here. He says, how would they force him? How did Robert force him to give tzedakah? We know there's a general principle. Any mitzvah that has mutton skara written next to it, based in aren't allowed to intervene and force. Now tzedakah, it says... Um, what it says, because of tzedakah you will be blessed. So we see that there's a reward written next to tzedakah. So how the base didn't force someone to get, how could Robert force someone to get tzedakah? So what is he, so Tzedakah's answer very interesting. I'm not going to go to all the whole discussion, but just two points. One he says is, um, he says one is, he forced him with words. When we say that Robert forced him, it doesn't mean he forced him, he went and beat him up or gave him lashes until he says, okay, I'll give the tzedakah. He motivated him. He rebuked him. He, pardon? Yeah, um, with words. Other Rishonim learned, no, when we say, the whole thing up to here has been discussing words. And then we say, when is this? When he's poor. But if he's wealthy, we force him like we force him by Tzedakah. Says, up to here we've been discussing shaming the person with words. So it must be referring to force, literally forcing. Which then, so Tzotosos say it must be with words, and then you're going to have to see how will Tzotosos explain the difference between the, a poor person and a wealthy person, if both of them you forcing with words. So I'm not sure how Tzotosos will answer that. But Tzotosos do give another answer. They have a bit more of a discussion, but then they give another answer. He says, no, because by Tzedakah, there's actually two negative commandments. There's lot ta'amates, velotik pots. Don't harden your heart and don't uh, close your hand. I so two maybe where there's two negative commandments, then you then based in are allowed to force with um, with physical force for someone to uh, do it to give tzedakah. Another interesting question that comes up from Rashi. Uh, let me just find it quickly. Um, Yeah, when the, the case we brought where the man turns over the mortar, so is the mortar is the pot, I'm getting around, the pestle is what you want. Yeah, the mortar, and he stands on it. The, the Rashi brings two different versions. It's the version that he, ha, he himself has to stand up and say, everyone else, even ravens, look after their children, and I don't. Either does he have to shame himself, or does he say, or is it that someone from Bayesden, 
stands on this mortar and declares so-and-so doesn't, even ravens look after their children, but so-and-so doesn't. What would be an interesting ramification? So there's a discussion, a, se- a totally separate discussion, but the one proof that someone wants to bring is from this version in Rashi, is are you allowed to speak Losh and horror about yourself? We know that you're not allowed, definitely not allowed to speak Losh and horror about someone else. What about, and we're not so clear regarding speaking Losh and horror about yourself. The Chofetz high. I mean, obviously if you're including yourself, you can't say me, Ruvain and myself did X when it's Losh and horror because that's also about about uh, Ruvain. But what about just speaking Losh and horror about yourself? So the Chofetz Chaim in his sacred doesn't actually seems to say there wouldn't be a problem with speaking Losh and horror about yourself. But many bring a famous story from the Chofetz Chaim. It's a uh, Quite a funny story. Say that once the Chofetz Chaim was traveling to a certain place, he was going to sell his books, and someone met him on the train. They didn't recognize him, and they asked him uh, what he's doing. He says, "No, I'm selling these books of the Chofetz Chaim." So the person started going, "Wow, you know the Chofetz Chaim is such a tzaddik. He's so great." So the Chofetz Chaim, who was very humble, was a bit uncomfortable with all this praise. Again, the guy didn't recognize him. He said, "No, he's not that great." So the guy clapped him. How can you speak about the Chofetz Chaim like that? When they got to the destination and everyone showed the Chofetz Chaim huge honor, he realized who it was and he showed him uh, such uh, honor and, res- and, he, uh, and everyone showed the Chofetz Chaim such honor and respect and realized he felt terrible. So he went up and apologized to the Chofetz Chaim. Oh, I'm really so The Chofetz Chaim says, no, 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 you taught me a great lesson. I learned that you're not allowed to speak Lashon Horror about yourself. But that, I mean, it's very difficult to say that... Uh, that uh, to Paskin, to come out with a halacha based on the story is very uh, difficult. But either way, that's uh, in his actual sefer, the Chofetz Chaim doesn't mention not uh, speaking Lashon, doesn't say that speaking Lashon horror about yourself is a problem. But again, the one opinion wants to bring it from this Rashi because a man stands up on the, on the mortar and says about himself badly. But I don't think, I don't think you can bring a proof from here because you also, you're definitely not allowed to speak Lashon horror about someone else. And this is a scenario where an agent of the Beisdin would be allowed to stand on the mortar and speak badly about this guy. So clearly this is a scenario where you are allowed to speak Losh and Hora. So why wouldn't if, uh, you know, so it's clearly not a regular scenario where we're saying he wouldn't be allowed to say it by someone else, but he would be allowed to say it by himself. So I don't think that's a good proof. Okay, we mentioned earlier Takonov Usha to do with the Ksuba. That was this one that a father has to support his children as as long as they're minors. So now we're going to mention another one, and we'll see if we get a chance, there'll be a third one, but let's see how far we get. That they instituted in Usha, if someone writes all, while he's alive, he writes all his assets over to his children, him and his wife are still allowed to draw sustenance from them. So they challenged us. They said a much greater novelty. His widow is supported from his assets. Now this is an interesting um, scenario. A husband in his wife's generally, we know that a widow is supported from the husband's estates. She's not supported from the chosim mishibarim, items that have been sold. She's not supported by items that have been sold, only by the existing estate. We view items that the, hus- the rights the husband has in his wife are the same as the rights 
that a buyer has in someone else's property. So they become basically his. So now, when this guy died and his daughter inherited him, her husband now has full rights in that property. Still, so you would expect, just as if any other land that the husband sold, the wife would not be able to claim support from those lands because they've been sold. So to this property that the daughter inherited, and now the husband's viewed as the buyer, I, her son-in-law is viewed as the buyer, she shouldn't be allowed to be supported. But no, that's what he's saying. There's a special novel. They made an exception that the widow, I, his mother-in-law, does get supported by the estate, again, that the daughter had inherited and was now given to the husband. So he says, this If his widow would be supported from his assets, even once they go to the son-in-law, obviously, she and her, him and his wife would be supported from the assets while they still allow. So and and he brings a support for this. The Sholach Rabin be Igoso Rabin sent in a letter. Misha Maitvaniachamano Bas Almanos and his own is Minachosov. If again this is just elaborating on the case I explained. Um, if someone dies and he left a widow and a daughter, his widow is still supported from his assets. Nisei Sabas. If the daughter gets married, the widow is still supported from his assets. Again, even though we say that the daughter's husband is viewed as the buyer of the land, still the widow is supported. If the daughter dies, I had such a case for Omram and and his owners, Minachosov, and they said that the widow is still supported from the assets. So, Huva Ishtamin, boy, obviously him and his wife themselves. If a wife can go to her daughter, her son in law, again, she's not, she's not even married to the daughter anymore, and claim support from the assets that he inherited from his wife who inherited it from her late husband, she can claim asset support from him. That's how strong her power, her her, uh, that's how strong the force on the estate is to support the widow. And obviously she can, and her husband themselves can claim support from the, from the property that they just gave to their children. So the Gemara answer is no. So, so again, this Takona doesn't seem to be teaching us anything. It's very obvious to us. He says, no, Torah. There's no one to, there where her husband has died and now we're saying that a son-in-law has to support her. That's all. But there's no one to work for. Tell this man, okay, you go back and work. You had all this property to support yourself of and you gave it to your children. So go work and support yourselves and your wife. He says you can go and take it from your children once you've given it to them. So that's what it's coming to teach us. Um, it's coming to teach us that um, so what's it going to teach us? Um, that no, they can still get supported by their children. I, if, a, to, if the parents give all their property to their children as a gift while they still love, they're still keeping and they're still allowed to claim support from the estate. Let's just quickly finish off this uh, discussion with a few more lines. Is the halacha like them or not? Do we say to the husband, 
you've given all your property away, go work to support your wife. But do we say, no, they can be supported from their children? He says, Toshma, the Rebbe Hanina, the Rebbe Yonasan, Havokaimei, Rebbe Hanina and Rebbe Yonasan were standing around. Asahahu, Gavra, Gochin, Menashkel, Rebbe Yonasan, Akare. A certain man came and he bowed and he started kissing Rebbe Yonasan on his feet. So I'm going to Rebbe Hanina, my high. Rebbe Hanina says, what have you done for this man? Why is he uh, so uh, appreciative? To you, so Amalei quotes in the Chos of Levanov who Vasinu Lezane. I wrote. He wrote his assets to. He gave away all his properties to his sons, and I made him support. I made the son support him. I forced his sons. Now Iomar Bishleim Alav Dina Mishum Hachiasiu. If you say that it's not the law, and that's why Rabbi Yonasan forced him, I, he went beyond the letter of the law. Then it makes sense that. Mishum Hachiasino, that Rabbi Yonasan forced him, and this man is so appreciative. Elo, Iomar Dina, if you say that the halacha, that it's the halacha, that if a man writes his assets to his children, he can still be supported from them, Asinu boy would say he had to force him. This language of Asinu is basically saying Rabbi Yonasan had to go beyond the letter of the law and get the son to support his father. That's the language of Asinu. Now, if it was the halacha, that if a father gives all his assets to his son, that the son has to support his father. You wouldn't use a special language of he made him. You just say he went to Beisden and Beisden said he has to. So that, so we see from here that the halacha is that, a son, that if a father writes all his assets to his children, he cannot expect to be supported from them. Again, but the, the Beisden or the Beisden might say one who persuade the children to, but it's not the halacha. Okay, we'll leave it there for today.